Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. This season of the church here is called the End Times. And when Christians set up the church here as we know it with seasons like Lent and Easter and Pentecost and Trinity, and they also set aside some time after the fall harvest was in, darkness, more our daily experience gets dark a little bit earlier. They identified that section as the end times. Winter wasn't too far away. But they especially wanted to think about the second coming of Jesus, uh, the end of this world, the end of their lives uh, as people here on this life, and what awaits us in the glories of heaven. This is one of my favorite times of year because we get to look at these Bible passages that talk about the glory of heaven. And if you're like me, as we journey through this life, it's not always pleasant to say the least. It can be pretty painful. Uh, We experience loss and heartache, unfairness, injustice all around us. We're on the receiving end of a lot of that times. We experience the death of loved ones. All of those things are put in their perspective when we think about the end times, when we think about the glory of heaven that awaits us. And so that's what we want to focus on today as we're going to be Digging deeply into these words here and take a look at what is that glory that awaits us. 
I'd like to share with you a story, and there's a slide that's going to come up here. And as you see it, it shows a starry night. Here in Phoenix, uh, you can get out of the city itself, and it doesn't take too long to do that. But when you do, you leave the city lights behind and the light that is bright from the street lights behind, and you get out into the desert, and you can look up into the sky, and you see this beautiful, beautiful night sky of all the stars. Well, a father and his little daughter were taking a walk, and they were looking at that beautiful starry night, and and dad was explaining to his uh, little daughter uh, about all of the constellations. He pointed out the uh, Big Dipper, and then the Northern Star, and then he pointed out the Little Dipper, its shape, told a few stories related to that. There was Orion, and so he went. He knew the constellations very well, and pointed out those images to his little girl. They continued to walk along hand in hand, just taking it all in as they looked up. All of a sudden, she tugged on his hand and said, Daddy, Daddy, if this side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the other side look like? What must the other side look like? Even us living in a fallen world with its imperfections, experience the handiwork of God. And you go out there at night. You go out there during the day. You get out into nature and you start walking around. And wow, it's just awesome what God has done. But it's all going to end someday. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible tells us. There will be a day of judgment. And we're going to get to see the other side of heaven. That whole idea of judgment, the whole idea of last things, that idea that we're going to stand before God and give an account, that can cause people a lot of anxiety. Back when I was a seminary student, I had a professor. His name was Sigbert Becker. He was a student of the Bible. He knew it in Greek. He knew it in Hebrew. In class, we would play a game with him, we would uh, quote a portion of a verse, and he knew the Bible so well that he could tell you chapter and verse and where it was on the page. He was in the habit of buying the same Bible because he had the Bible memorized. He not only knew the Bible, he knew the Savior. He knew Jesus as his Savior. And that came out in the lessons that he taught. And so he would oftentimes tell us stories about his life. And when he was a child... He said, when I thought about the end times, whenever that season of the church here came up, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go to church because it talked about death, talked about destruction, talked about hell, talked about fire. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to hear that message because I was afraid. I was afraid that I wouldn't make it to heaven and that that is what I would experience. Well, as he grew into his adult life and he studied the word, he came to understand that he didn't have to be afraid. But maybe you've been afraid of that whole idea of that teaching in the Bible about the day of judgment, the day of wrath, the day of mourning, the day of destruction. And you may have wondered to yourself, am I going to make it? That is the most critical question that we face as human beings. Are we going to make it 
to heaven. Can I be sure that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven? Well, our text here today answers that question for us. And we can be sure, we can have the confidence that whether it be at the second coming of Christ or our death, whichever comes first, we are going to make it. We are going to be in heaven. Now, let's take a look at these verses here. And I'd like you to go to your crosswalk uh, notes here. And there's a Bible passage I want to read that fills in the first blanks for us. This passage tells us what the future holds for the earth as we know it today. It says from, in Second Peter, That day, the day of judgment, will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So the Bible teaches us that what we see and what we live in, what we experience, is going to go away. It's going to be destroyed. And it's going to be wiped clean. And God is going to replace it with a new heaven and a new earth. Well, then there's the question. Where will I be? What will happen to me? Will I make it into this new heaven? Will I live on this new earth? Well, let's look a little bit further into this section of Scripture. Because as we fill in the blanks on the first uh, point, it says, The earth as we know it will be destroyed, and it will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. But listen to the words of Jesus. I'd like you to jump in your handout there, the crosswalk notes, to these verses, and we pick it up in verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Here's verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Well, the first death is our physical death. The second death is a reference to eternal death. When body and soul, having been reunited, we're told those who don't make it into the new heaven and new earth are going to experience eternal fire forever. And it's called the second death. But look what it says here about these people. And it talks about the cowardly. talks about murderers. talks about sexually immoral uh, people who practice the magic arts, uh, people who are liars. Now, when you look at that list the first time, it looks like you could come away from that and say, well, that's not me. I'm pretty bold. I stand up for the truth whenever possible. Haven't told any big lies lately. But if you take a closer look at it, and we look at it from God's perspective, and from what the scriptures say, and we think about cowardice, that includes you and me. I had a football coach in college who said, uh, Rich, everybody's got a yellow line down their back. The only difference 
between football players is this. Some players, they have that yellow streak, cowardice, and it's wide. Other players, their streak is narrow. Well, when you've got this big back coming through the line and you're just a 175-pound linebacker playing for a Class 3 school, you understand what he's talking about. It's like a freight train you're trying to stop. But you give it your best shot. Cowardice. Think about it from a spiritual perspective, though. Think about it from the perspective of how have we stood up for Jesus 24-7, 100% of the time? And then we begin to realize, wait a minute, I've not always been willing to admit that I'm a Christian, a follower of Christ. Sometimes I've even been blatant in my cowardice and denied Jesus like Peter did when he denied Jesus confronted by the soldiers who were about to crucify him. And we begin to realize that we are cowards, spiritual cowards when it comes to Christ. And then we see that uh, statement here talks about murderers. And, well, maybe some of you here today have murdered someone. I don't know. Then again, maybe if you, some of you may have killed somebody accidentally. You know, hit them with your car or something. Then again, maybe no one here today has actually taken the life of someone unless you were in the military when you, on behalf of government, had to kill someone who was the enemy. But whatever the case, uh, Jesus tells us that if you've hated anyone, you're a murderer. Now there, that indicts us all. Because we've not always, 24-7, had good thoughts, good feelings. We have hated people who have dealt us wrong. And we're guilty of that too. What about the sexual immorality We might say to ourselves, well, I've been faithful to my wife. I've never cheated on her. I've never cheated on my husband. And yet Jesus says, uh, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And we're nailed on that one too. And the magic arts, do you walk under the ladder all the time or do you walk around it? The cracks on the sidewalk? Remember that old saying, step on a crack, break your mother's back, you know? little superstition there. You carry a lucky penny. You make sure you don't stay on the 13th floor of a hotel. Maybe you've noticed that casinos don't have a 13th floor. It's an unlucky number, and you're glad for that. Yeah, we have fallen into superstition, too. Lied? Oh, yeah. We've done that too. The Bible says if you uh, break the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking it all. And when you're guilty of breaking it all, it means you're not righteous. We're unholy before God, who is holy, who is righteous. So here is heaven, the home of righteousness. And where does that leave us? Unrighteous people. Well, Jesus tells us where it leaves us. And he tells us how it's possible for unrighteous people to be forever in a home that is righteous, a heavenly home. Listen to his words. We jump back to verse 6. He said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There's the answer. How we can be sure we're going to make it. Jesus is telling us, you can count on this. He is the Alpha and the Omega. You have the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He is the final word on this subject. You don't have to go anywhere else for an answer. You can trust Jesus. He tells us his words are trustworthy and they are true. So you can get this answer, if you're going to make it, from Jesus himself. And what does he tell us? He says, whoever drinks of me living water will inherit eternal life. There's an amazing story in the Bible where Jesus is talking to a woman in the country called Samaria. And as he speaks to her there, they meet at a well. And she's drawing water for her family. Jesus is there traveling with his disciples. He sits down. They talk about water. And then Jesus says, um, tells her about living water and how whoever drinks of that living water will, will never thirst. And she says, well, give me a drink of that water. I want that water. And he said, I am the living water. And Jesus is telling her that whoever drinks of him, whoever believes in him, trusts in him as their savior, they're never going to thirst. You see, Jesus came into our world to supply what we lack. We lack holiness. We are impure. We are not righteous. And yet he comes into the world to do what? To secure for us what we lack. To secure righteousness and purity for us. So that the fellowship that was broken in the Garden of Eden can be restored. And sure enough, Jesus does that. He comes into the world under the law to redeem us who are under the law. He comes into the world to live a perfect life in our place. He comes into the world to offer up his life as a payment to God for our sin. He comes into the world to restore the broken fellowship between God and man. And he does it by sacrificing himself on the cross, by paying the price that we ought to pay, by rising from the dead to assure everybody that the victory has been secured. And God tells us that he has accepted that sacrifice on our behalf, and we've been declared not guilty, and the righteousness of Jesus has been given to us. And that righteousness covers our imperfection. It covers our unholiness. And so what we lack, we now have through Christ. And Jesus tells us that whoever believes in him, whoever drinks of him, living water, has that status, is clothed in the robes of his righteousness. And so the question is, will we make it? Will we be able to live in a place called heaven that's perfect, the home of righteousness? And the answer is yes. There's a simple Bible passage. You probably have it committed to memory. It's in the crosswalk notes there. And it simply says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is Jesus' promise. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the living water, the bread of life, the Redeemer is promising eternal life. Promising us heaven. Now, this darkness isn't for effect, by the way, so. But I think you can see the slide a little bit better. But just think of that. Here, Jesus is telling you and me that um, all our sins washed away. All the payment for sin that we ought to pay, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, has been paid for by Christ. And so you and I have the confidence that the wages of sin is death, yes, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Are we going to make it? Yes. You can walk out of here today with the confidence you are going to make it. Not because you've lived a certain way, not because you've thought a certain way, not because you've worshipped in a certain way, but because of what Jesus has said and done for you. And by his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, faith has been planted home in your heart and you believe this promise that Jesus has made. And you can have that confidence that should you die today or Christ return and you stand before God in the judgment, he will welcome you into heaven. So what's it going to be like? So what is heaven going to be like? It says it's the home of righteousness. Interesting word, home. We hanker and hunger for home. Maybe you're familiar with the uh, program HGTV, and on there there's house hunters. You know that program where they have a couple who's searching for the perfect house, Perfect location, perfect yard, perfect colors, perfect room sizes, perfect kitchen. I mean, the list goes on. They're looking at three houses typically, and the lady takes them from one place to the other, or the real estate agent uh, shows them this house, that house. They look at three, and, and they get to pick, and we get to guess which one did they pick. But there's that theme. They're looking for a place they can call home. Home is special to us. Family, friends. Love is shared, life is built and lived. At Christmas time, you hear a lot of songs that talk about home. I'll be home for Christmas, right? Home for the holidays. On the radio, you're hearing those clips from men and women who are serving our nation in distant places. Just a shout out to Tom and Sue who live in Phoenix. Wish I could be there for Christmas. Merry Christmas. And they greet and they wish they could be home. For Christmas. Home is a very important thing in our lives. Houses, where we build our homes, important thing in our lives. We're willing to take on a lot of debt to have a home, to have a house. And yet sometimes we realize that um, it doesn't satisfy. Even though we have this hunger for home here, No matter where we live, whatever the circumstance, we just can't fill it or meet that need. 
My wife and I have lived in many different places uh, as a pastor. We moved from one place to another, served here, served there for a while. The other day, as uh, we moved to Mesa, Arizona, and we had lived in California for about 20-some years and, and loaded everything up, came to Mesa, Arizona to live. It was one of the hottest days of the year. It was 116 at night as well as in the daytime. Do you remember that this summer? And uh, while we were settling in and unpacking and getting things straightened around, she turned to me and she said, you know, Rich, I thought my life would be different. I said, well, what do you mean? I thought maybe I would find a place I could really call home. Her parents had lived, have lived in the same place for over 50 years. My parents lived in the same house for over 50 years. You know what I'm talking about? That hunger for home, that place you can just settle and it's, everything's just right. This last September, I had the opportunity to go back to Minnesota, where I was born and raised, and to a, a meeting in southern part of Minnesota, a place called New Alm, where Martin Luther College uh, exists. And I was headed to that meeting, flew into Minneapolis, St. Paul. My siblings live in the cities there. So I try to squeeze in a visit. I was able to visit all of them, my two older sisters, two older brothers. And then, as is my habit, whenever I'm in that location, I swing by the cemetery where my parents are buried and I pay my respects and thank the Lord in prayer for my Christian parents who raised me. And then I always swing by the house where I grew up. 17 plus years, off to college, back, came home. It was home. Well... I'm in the rental car, I'm driving down the street, uh, take a right turn, and almost there, take another right turn, looking for 2697 East 12th Avenue, North St. Paul, Minnesota. As I turn the corner and look for my house, there's nothing. The whole block, six houses gone. A huge garage that housed buses for the local school district that was right behind our house, gone. There was nothing. The house I called home for years, born and raised, nurtured in love, brought to Jesus there, gone. I kicked around in the open field, trying to find some remnant, and... There was a piece of concrete about this big, and I picked it up and turned it over in my hands, and sure enough, it was a piece of the sidewalk that my dad had hand-poured. That was all that was left. And then this. This is all I've got left. 2697. I didn't know whether I should laugh or cry. As I'm standing out there in this open field, and then I just laughed and shook my head and said, Lord, you really are bringing this lesson home to me. The things of this life are temporary. Home on earth, that's not where it's to be found. Heaven is your home. You're just... A traveler here. We're just travelers here. Heaven is our home. 
And yet we hold so tightly and look for the things of heaven here on earth. We're looking in the wrong place. God wants us to fix our eyes on that heavenly goal that awaits us. What's it going to be like? Jesus tells us a bit through this revelation in the book that John sets down for us. What we ought to be looking at. And think of the place, first of all. He says that the place is like a holy city. Let me read these words here. Your crosswalk notes say, Revelation 21.10. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. I don't know about you, but if you travel through cities in the United States, you know that cities aren't always known for their cleanliness. They're not holy places. They're places of commerce, places where we do business. Um, and oftentimes they're dirty and kind of trashy. This summer, my daughter Liz went to New York with some high school friends of hers, and they stayed there 10 days. She came home, said, Dad, let me tell you about the trip. And I said, okay, what was it like? And she talked about Broadway, and they talked about the food. But then she said, you know, it was kind of smelly in New York. I said, well, what do you mean smelly? She says, well, you know, the subways go under the streets there. And there are these grates where the air comes out when the subway comes by. And so as the subway travels through those tubes underground, it pushes the air in front of it. And the air goes up into where you're walking around. And she said, it stinks. All of the garbage, all of the water that's stagnant, all of the, the trash that's left behind, all of the rat droppings, everything down in the subway is in the air and gets pushed up through the ground and it smells. It stinks. Well, if you've been to L.A., it's not much better. No subways, but it's not a pretty place in the city. And yet that's not what heaven will be like. Jesus reveals to John and to us through the scriptures, heaven is going to be a place that is holy, a place that is perfect, the home for the righteous. We can't even imagine how awesome and great this city is. So God uses words and word pictures for us to relate to and think about. If you read the rest of this uh, book on your own this week, you're going to see that there is a description of the city where everything is even, equidistant, symmetrical. The materials used to build it are the best, the most precious. And so it goes. And God uses that picture to help us understand that heaven is a place of perfection. It's a place that's beyond our human experience. It's a place that's going to be awesome. It's a place that is real. It's a place that we're going to experience both physically and spiritually. And he says, keep your eyes fixed. Fixed on that place. And then there's something else we're told about heaven. We're going to be in the presence of God. It's hard to get our heads around that, to be in the presence of God. God is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is loving. He is just. 
He is merciful. I mean, the list goes on. We read the description of God throughout the scriptures. And and we're going to be in the presence of God, the creator. Imagine the one who flung the stars into their places and hung the planets in their orbits. We're going to be there face to face in God's holy presence, the home of righteousness, clothed in the robes of Christ's righteousness. We're going to be there. It's just hard to imagine, but we're going to experience that. The Apostle Paul said, now we see through a glass darkly. We see in part then when we get to heaven, we're going to see fully. No doubt you've got some questions you'd like to ask God about. You'll have your opportunity. What an awesome place. What an awesome thing to be in the presence of God forever and ever. We are going to be together with God forever. No separation. Separation is over. When the Apostle John was given these words and this inspiration by the Holy Spirit, he was in prison. It was sort of a prison. It was house arrest, they called it. He was on the island of Patmos. Later in life, we believe he was in his 90s when this all occurred, he was separated from his congregation, which was in the city of Ephesus. The island of Patmos, you can be on that island and you can see the mainland, Ephesus. But what separates Patmos from Ephesus is the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Do you catch that section where it said, and there will be no more sea? Seas separate. There may be oceans in the new heaven and new earth, but they're not going to be separating us like they do today. The separation of John that he was experiencing later in life from the people he loved, the people he had served as their pastor, would be no more. Separation from God ended. Separation from people we know and love who know Christ ended. No separation. And then we're told some other things about heaven and what it's going to be like. Look at the list here. We read it where it describes the fact that there's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more mourning. Just think of that. A a life experience without death. Death is a hard thing. We were not made to die. We were made to live forever. It's because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve that death was brought into the world as we know it. A consequence of sin. Death is painful. Maybe death in a traffic accident where you're still alive and yet the car burns around you. That's not an easy thing. That is terrible. We hear about the death of people who have lost limbs and they bleed to death. They talk about the pain of that loss of their limb. People who are burned to death. Uh, Death is a painful thing. And yet we're told that in heaven there will be no more death. That will not be the heavenly experience. Rather, the opposite will be there. Life. Eternal life. Everything will be living. 
and the death experience gone. No more tears. The only kind of tears in heaven will be tears of joy. But tears of sadness, no. How many times don't we experience tears of sorrow ourselves? It might be in our marriage relationship where we're just not getting along with our husband or wife. We're saying and doing things that are hurtful. And we come away, whether you be a man or a woman, and you're just driven to tears over the deep sorrow and the conflict that's there. And you just wish that to end. It's so painful. Tears of sadness in heaven. No tears of sadness. Only tears of joy. Perfect harmony between people. Perfect relationship between us and God. No more death. No more tears. No more mourning. We're going to be comforted. Heaven. The glories of heaven await us. Are we going to make it? Yes. What's it going to be like? A glorious place in the presence of God. And there are going to be a lot of people there. There are going to be a lot of people there. Listen to this scripture passage. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's another verse from 1 Thessalonians. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what our experience is going to be. People, think of heaven as a reunion. You know, you go to family reunions, it's just great. Hugs all around, great food, swapping stories, laughing and joking. But then again, there might be a little tension, there might be a little conflict between some of the family members in the reunion. Not in heaven. One big reunion with all believers. Everyone who has trusted in Christ throughout history, there. The saints, the Bible says, gathered around the throne and praising God. Wow. That's what we have to look forward to. When I get home to heaven, there's a picture we want to set up here on the uh, slide for you for just a moment as I read this poem to you. And in it is uh, Jesus hugging a man. This is one of my favorite pictures. I just love this picture because it just touches my heart to know that when I get to heaven, this is what Jesus is going to do. Welcome, Rich. But you notice that the man's face we don't see. And for good reason. Because your name and your face will be there too.
And you can put yourself in this picture. And Jesus hugging you. Let me read this poem this Christian woman wrote. When I get home to heaven, there will be so much to see. I'll stand and gaze for ages at wonders all around me. But this one thing I long to do as soon as e'er I can, I want to look on Jesus, his head, his feet, his hands. I want to see the nail prints my Savior bore for me, his precious flesh so torn and scarred, those scars that set me free. I would not ask to touch them or even to presume that I, one so unworthy, should brush those holy wounds. I wish that I, like Mary, might fall before him there and wash his feet with teardrops and dry them with my hair. Not having costly perfume to lavish on him, then I'd simply pour out all my love and kneel and worship him. I'd look into his tender eyes, his gentle smile to see. I'd whisper how I love him for all he's done for me. And then throughout forever, I'll sing about his love and tell the wondrous story in heavenly courts above. Looking for home on earth? Oh, no. We're never going to find it here. Yes, we're hankering for home. Home of righteousness. We're hankering to be with God in glory, fellowshipping Him with Him perfectly again. And it will be ours someday. But we have a journey to make. We have some days to live yet. I don't know how long they'll be for you, for me, but we're here today, and the Lord will probably give us a tomorrow. But as we live out those days, Remember the message today. Think about the glorious home that you have in heaven because of Jesus. And then live your life here in view of the hereafter there. Amen. God bless you. I'd like to, uh, at this time, uh, close with a prayer. We pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you today that through this revelation recorded by the Apostle John, you have given us a glimpse of the glorious home that awaits us. We have to admit that so many times we get so earthbound in our thinking and our behaviors that we think that our best life is going to be lived here, right now. We need to work really hard to make that happen. Sometimes we've clung to stuff like... Well, like that is where we're going to find home. And yet we know we know better. Forgive us for the times where we've misplaced our priorities, where we focus so much on this life, we've forgotten about our heavenly home, won for us and secured for us by Jesus. And as we journey heavenward, strengthen our faith in him who secures for us a place in glory. Give us the confidence that no matter what our earthly circumstance, we know that we are heaven-bound through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the faith that you have planted home in our hearts. Strengthen it as we study your word. Help us live here. Focus on that prize that you won for us. Help us live here in view of the hereafter. In his name, our Savior, we pray, and soon coming King. Amen.
Sing.